0: Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing of this Lord's Day, the blessing together as Your people to worship You, the blessing together, together, and to study Your Word as we're doing so this morning topically. And we ask that on this Pentecost Sunday that Your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us. We ask that You would open our spiritual eyes, that we may see the truth of your word today. And we pray that we would not merely be students of your word, but also doers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in pulling these topics together of knowledge and the naive, uh, and we'll not get through all the material today, but we'll do our best to to launch into this, Um, let's start with the question of what is knowledge what is knowledge? <clears throat> the proverbs uh, in Proverbs one seven. So right at the beginning, uh, it says that uh, essentially knowledge knowledge's origin is God Himself, which is why in Proverbs one seven it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And as students of the book of Proverbs, as you are now officially as we've worked our way through the study, you know that that first chapter of Proverbs is essential to understanding the rest of the book of Proverbs. It sets the standard, so to speak, of what we are to understand. One commentator says Proverbs and the Bible as a whole does not try to prove the existence of its God It rather presents God's existence as a presupposition that is manifest in history and nature. In other words, in... Incidentally, and and I don't want to chase this rabbit too far, uh, but I I do realize that there are are some uh, pastors, even in our own denomination, uh, that will spend quite a bit of time on the topic of, of trying to prove God's existence and to argue and advocate that there is a God, so forth and so on. You've probably picked up by now that I just don't waste a whole lot of time with that. Um, not that I, I don't believe there's a God. Clearly, I do. Um, but two things. Number one, statistically, so I'm stepping outside of the Bible just a second. Statistically, we're told that there is such a small number of atheists in the world that it's almost not worth discussing. Uh, there's just a remarkably small number. Now, moving beyond that, who people in general think God is, is another story indeed. But, but I subscribe to the historic uh, reform tradition of, and this is not carried over exclusively, but by a presuppositional understanding that, that I believe that inherently everyone believes that there is a God, even the atheist. And so we'll just move on, <laughs> shall we not? There's a God. But the Proverbs then brings that presuppositional understanding to us and says, but there is something that we need to note about knowledge. And knowledge, understanding that there is a God, flows from a right understanding and a right response to God. Um, Some... Of the, the old Presbyterians would refer to this in the sense of that we are to have a reverence and an awe. An awe in the sense of awesome, an awe of God, a reverence of of God. And that right reverence and that right uh, awe of God is the very beginning of what knowledge is. So when we ask the question, this is where I was going with all of that, when we ask the question, so what is knowledge? We need to make sure that we don't try to answer that question from a worldly perspective. And here's why. Because God Himself is the origin of knowledge. So we look not to the world's definition of knowledge, but we look to... and you might think I was getting ready to say the Bible's definition of knowledge, but I'm not even going to say that. We look to who God is. God is the origin of knowledge. And so we can understand better what knowledge is, and we can grow in our knowledge by looking to who God is and to understand who God is. So knowledge is defined by who God is, but also the Proverbs tells us that knowledge is defined by what God says. So think about how beautiful that is. Not only is God the origin of knowledge, but in addition to that, He is not silent. He is not a God who we wish we knew who He is and what He thinks and what He says. But in Proverbs chapter 8, starting in verse 8, it says... All the words of my mouth are righteous. Now, pause there for just a second. You students of Proverbs, you will know that what I'm getting ready to read to you is the section of Proverbs where wisdom personified is speaking. Right? However, also as good students of the Word, you know that God is wisdom. Ergo, we can look and equate the two as the same. All the words of my mouth, wisdom, God says, are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and, distru- and discretion. So there are a lot of, of words there, and we're going to talk about uh, synonyms in just a, a minute. But the, the main point there is in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, we're told not only is God the origin of knowledge, so also he, uh, His Word tells us what knowledge, what defines knowledge. But also, we are told that knowledge is defined by what God does. So, who God is, what God says... What God does. Those are three ways, if you're taking notes, to remember how do we define knowledge. We define knowledge by who God is, what God says, and what God does. And I'm drawing from Proverbs 3, verses 19 through 20 here. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew." All of that in this sort of pastoral reflection on creation is also telling. And this is something I might add that we have lost in the modern era in the era in which we live. Uh, in fact, if, if any of you are, are C.S. Lewis fans, you know that, that Lewis talked significantly about this which we have lost as moderns, uh, which Lewis believed that the medievals uh, truly uh, understood, uh, had a much better uh, perspective of how creation tells the glory of God. As moderns, we oftentimes think about uh, creation as proofing. Creation as proof text. And so we might think that we need to argue with an atheist whenever you come across one uh, out there, and that we somehow need to have our creation arsenal in our back pocket so we can argue with someone uh, as if creation is going to serve as our proof text. Uh, But what we find, if we'll remove ourselves from that modern perspective, although I would imagine that is true, but we can step aside from that and see that creation itself is telling. Creation is full of knowledge telling us of God, we simply have to listen to what creation is telling, which we do not do well as modern. So, knowledge uh, may be defined by who God is, what God says, what God does, or you could add to that, uh, that doing, how God has revealed Himself in creation. So what about this second topic of naïve? Or uh, there's another word that the Proverbs uses, and that is the simple. You've already encountered this uh, from what we've gone through thus far in Proverbs uh, about the simple or the simpleton, and uh, that's where I'm I'm getting this word uh, naive from. Uh, Who is the naive? Who is the naive? Now, I want you to think about that, and I'm going to answer it, but then I'm going to wait and show you either next week or the next where we see this in Proverbs. But just in summary, the naive or the simple is the one who does not heed who God is, what God says, what God does. If you're taking notes, that's just a simple way to distinguish, but also to relate these two. What is knowledge? How do we define it? By who God is, what God says, what God does. Who is the naive? The naive or the simple is the one who does not heed who God is, does not heed who, what God says, does not heed what God does. And again, I'm going to elaborate on that as we uh, work our way through Proverbs. Probably, in fact, definitely not today. Okay, so, if that is what, how knowledge is defined... If knowledge is defined by who God is, what He says, what God does, how then is true knowledge? And I'm, I'm defining this, I'm sort of, of, of borrowing from language of Francis Schaeffer uh, in, in the sense that I'm not talking about worldly knowledge. I'm talking about true knowledge, which is defined by who God is, what God says, what God does, right? So this true knowledge, how is it attained? How is it attained? Because I would say that we all desire to have this knowledge as children of God. And so how is this true knowledge attained? Well, we've already looked at it, first of all, in this introduction. And you can see that on your handout as well. Uh, one of the first ways, although these are not in a particular order, is the fear of God. The fear of of, of the Lord, fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 1 7 again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then the second clause of that verse, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, as I said before, the word fear here, as, uh, as it is used, is, as, as I understand it, is a right reverence and awe of God. Again, as I'm sure that you know, it is not referring to some sort of fear as if we don't want to know God, as if we don't want to be uh, associated with or with God, as if He is a scary person. That's not that kind of fear. It is a fear that speaks to reverence of God. It is a, a fear that speaks to awe of God. But also within this there is the implication of a proper attitude and relationship to God and a complete dependence. And if you think about it this way, if we don't have a right relationship with God, then we should be, in that other sense of the word fear, scared of Him. Isn't that right? You hear the the stories of Jonathan Edwards preaching in the Great uh, Awakening and that people would be so gripped by the fear of God that their bodies would just tremble. And they would fall on the ground trembling by virtue of the Holy Spirit working and convincing them of this this fear of God. So if someone doesn't have a right relationship with God, then in that sense there should be not a relational fear, reverence, and awe. They should indeed be fearful of our awesome God. But also a proper attitude and a complete dependence. To fear God denotes that I have a right understanding of who He is, right? If I understand that God is God, that He is who He says He is, then this should affect how I think, but also should, act, should affect how I depend upon Him. And we think about this in the sense of the sovereignty of God and prayer and other sorts of spiritual disciplines uh, that fall into line with this. The other thing to note here, and this is just a a a, a literary note um, we need to be careful in when we're studying the proverbs that uh, we need to We need to understand our terms, but we need to make sure that we don't fall too heavily into defining terms in a poetic structure. And here's what I mean in terms of pitting one another against uh, things against one another. There are times that the sage will use the word knowledge to mean wisdom, and there are times that the sage will use the word discretion to mean understanding. And there are times that the sage will use knowledge to mean understanding and so on. What I'm getting at here is this, and this is is also very, very hard for us as moderns because what we want is when we go start on the Proverbs, we want a glossary, don't we? We a glossary in the back, so and I'm a you know I'm a dictionary guy, so I'm reading a, a, a something a, a book and I come across it and I, I don't know what that word is and so I want to get my dictionary I want to look it up and I want to better understand it aha that helps me better understand it and but that, that is a very modern way of looking at the proverbs and I'm not saying that we don't need to understand what our terms mean but we do need to be careful that we don't let the definition of term. Force its way into the poetry. You gotta understand, and if if the word poetry bothers you, you're just gonna have to get over it. You just gonna have to embrace it. The Proverbs is poetry. You got to understand the genre of this literature. You have to be faithful to read it in the genre that it is. Because, my point is, is that when it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Guess what its synonym is? Wisdom. And understanding. And discretion. In other words, what the poet is doing there is he is building a case against the fool, which comes in the second clause, by using that word knowledge, but in order to convey the truth that he is implying in the first clause, you've got to understand it's a synonym to send them for all of these other words. And the reason why we know this to be true is because scholars who have studied the use of the words in Proverbs have been able to discern that oftentimes the sage will take those words and will mean different things with them in order to play off of the parallel within the proverb. I hope I didn't lose you there, but if you're still with me, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, from a modern perspective, we would go, huh? Scripture's contradicting itself, isn't it? Because he just defined the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. Now he's saying it's wisdom? (laughs) And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 9.10. Or Proverbs 30, starting in verse 1. The words of Augur, son of Jaca, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. (laughs) I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom. Nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended to heaven and come down. Who has gathered the wind into His fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is His name and what is His Son's name? Surely you know. Did I print that proverb on your handout? Okay, you've got it there. What, what is this sage saying? What is he telling us about God and our knowledge of Him. It's incomprehensible, right? I mean, those are the questions there. They're rhetorical questions, aren't they? Who who knows this, right? I mean, we're, we're thinking about Job here, for example, who, who goes all through that he does, and then God asks him, and says, in essence... Who do you think you are? Stand ready, my man, because I'm getting ready to lay it on you. And I'm going to show you, you know nothing. Right? And, and to a certain extent, we think about this in terms of worldly knowledge. Um, has anyone gained a complete and comprehensive understanding of worldly knowledge? No. No, just, we, we learn something and, and it's, it's one of those things in, in, in the, the odd uh, area of specificity. You know, I mean, I, I looked at it and, and I'm looking straight down at an eye surgeon and I think he would probably tell me is that I learned all of this and then the more I learned, the more I, I didn't know, right? And, and for those of us that have pursued advanced education, we thought there would be this point where we get to where we would know something and then we get there and we cry out like St. Augustine, oh, the depth, oh my God, the depth, You know, it's just the more that I learn, and this is most certainly the case with God. The more that we learn of Him, the more that we don't realize, well, I mean, we realize what we really don't know, right? But this also, and there's a positive to this, this also leads us back to the Word of God. Because think about it if we realize god is incomprehensible there is so much that i don't know my finite mind as 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 the sage says here is i don't even have like the decent understanding of an average man how am I going to understand God, right? This is a statement of, it's either self-deprecating humor or it's true humility. But whatever the case is, he's confessing something that we all have encountered. But the other side to that is, is that when we go to God's Word and we see in God's Word that He has revealed by His choice what He has revealed to us, to an extent that is a solid anchor That is something where we can go, oh, this is something that I can hope in. This is something that I can stand firm on. Because God has chosen to reveal this in His Word. The other thing that I want to draw to your attention on this uh, topic is Proverbs 22.12. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but He overthrows the words of the traitor. Now, those two, this proverb can be confusing when you try to look at it, see if there's a parallel here, the second part, the second clause of that, that God overthrows the words of the traitor. The traitor is someone who is dishonest. We may understand that their words are words of dishonesty. They've used that dishonesty to, um, to to, to be a traitor against someone, perhaps in their trust. But the point is the first clause, right? The eyes of the Lord... Keep watch over knowledge. What does that mean? What does it mean? So first of all, we have the the, the metaphor of of God's eyes. So that metaphor tells us that God is is watching. Uh, It also can carry the connotation of He's keeping. But what does the rest of that mean? The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. Right? Right? So from Him is, in the, in the sense of, of all things, all that which is, uh, f- flows from His sovereign person. Right? So now tie that concept into knowledge. Have you ever heard, and if you've, if you've read Francis Schaeffer, you've come across this, uh, or even C.S. Lewis? You heard this before. So Schaefer made the distinction of truth and true truth, and he would use that in in his writing or his lectures. And the point that he was making with true truth is it's it's not truth according to what the world says, but it's true truth in that it comes from, as J.D. quoted, from God. God is its source. But oftentimes we tend to also, in a very modern perspective, we Break our understanding of truth into the little bitty pods of our understanding or our tribe or our bias or whatever the case is, right? So if there is true truth and if God, everything flows from Him, then what does it tell us about true truth? It's, It's God's truth. Which means that, and this is for any of you that have ever studied C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man, which is not an easy read, uh, but worth the effort. In fact, there is, this is a, I guess a brief commercial, um, there is a new critical edition out in which Michael Ward... Um, who I've met, he came to Fort Smith. Michael Ward is a Lewis scholar, and he has done a critical edition, uh, I think it was just published this year, 2022, on the abolition of man, in which he footnotes to help you walk through all of Lewis's references in, in that difficult work. But what Lewis gets at in, in that work is is that when we see truth in some foreign religion that is anti-Christ, anti-God, and yet we see within that foreign religion that, and I'll make this up, that there is a recognition of one man and one woman in covenant together in marriage for life. And as moderns, we tend to think, well, they're, they're pagan heathen. Everything is False. Because they're bound and destined for hell, I can't trust anything they say. And Lewis goes, I'm not not buying that. That sounds like one of those other modern wackos that we're into. Because what Lewis argues is is that if it's true, if it's truth, then all truth is God's truth. And the, the point that the Proverbs is making here, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, meaning that does knowledge ever change? Is knowledge ever relative to God's knowledge? It's never, is it? I mean, the knowledge of God is the same today in June of 2022 as it was on the day of creation when He spoke creation into existence. It has never changed. It is not relative. It does not shift by the cultural winds. And so, if knowledge then is related to truth, then we can understand that truth never changes. Truth is always true. Even if we see it in the most unlikely of places, even if we see it in the most unlikely of scenarios, this is a way in which we see that God's watch... His watch over knowledge is trustworthy. We can know that when we understand things according to God's knowledge, we can know that they will not change. Number two, we are to have not only a fear for God in attaining this knowledge, but also we are to have a love for it. A love for knowledge. Proverbs 1, starting in verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now we could have used that in the previous uh, example, but I wanted to tie this in. I'm looking at it from a reverse perspective. Because they hated knowledge. So who, who hates knowledge? Who is this talking about? Who is this hater of knowledge? Well, I mean, we can do what? The simple, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we, it's, it's, we can see by virtue of our definition of who the naive or the simple are. So it's someone uh, that is not able to find God. It's someone that God is not answering to them, not revealing to them by virtue of His Word. Uh, it's someone who hates Knowledge, again by virtue of our definition, who God has revealed Himself, what He has said, what He has done. So they they hate this knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. All of this is telling us something about, a negative perspective, about the simpleton, about the naive, but it's also in reverse telling us something about us is that we are to be a people who love the knowledge of God. We are the people who love the knowledge of God. And if the knowledge of God is gained by who He is, what He says, and what He, is, what he does, then we should be lovers of what? Well, lovers of, of who God is. Lovers of what God says. Lovers of what God does. And you think about this in your, your own life. Especially, I think, about anyone uh, that is here that came to faith later in life. And when you perhaps read the Bible prior to conversion and after, how, how it just seemed as if Scripture came alive. And you saw it in in a brand new way. Uh, And of course, many of us have experienced that as well as the Holy Spirit has matured us and as we've grown in our our sanctification, as we look to God's Word and we just find it richer and richer. But so also seeing the world through the lens of God, seeing it through the love of God, seeing what God has done, what He is doing, and loving Him for it. So a fear of God helps us in attaining this knowledge of God. A love of God's knowledge helps us. And then thirdly, a pursuit. And what's implied in this pursuit is an acquisition. In other words, it's not an endless pursuit, but it's a pursuit and acquisition of knowledge. Look at Proverbs 2 with me. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And again, we can see those different words playing off of one another. But the main thing that I want you to look at here uh, is, is what do we learn about this person? This person who has benefited from the fear of the Lord and gaining of knowledge and so forth. What, what do we what do we see about their What's characteristic about them? They're wise. What else? If you seek it like silver, search for it. For hidden treasures. What's this telling us about this person? They're in God's Word. Yeah. I mean, and, and not just that, but it's, it's also a, an attitude, a perspective. I mean, th- think about this. It, many people live the modern Christian life haphazardly. As, as if they've professed faith in Christ and that's the end. As if there's nothing else in their Christian life except some sort of eternal uh, uh, fire insurance, I guess we would say, or something like that. But the point is, is that this is someone who is serious, someone who is diligent, someone who is in pursuit and acquiring the knowledge that God gives. And, and yes, you're exactly right, as, as we gain that through a pursuit in God's Word. Proverbs 2.10, "...for wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul." Uh, And this is just, in uh, I didn't put all the verses in between, but it's just carrying forward from the previous verses that I just read to you. But again, the the general idea is is that there is a blessing that comes from this pursuit, isn't there? Uh, You look at the last part of that, and this is beautiful language. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Think about that. Is the knowledge of God pleasant to your soul? Or, or is it a conflict? Is it, is it something that you, you wrestle with? Or do you find a great peace in it? Is knowledge of God an amazing beauty that flows like a, like a, like a river, like a stream into your life? Or is it something that you're combating or you're pushing back against? Proverbs 18, 15. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ears of the wise seeks knowledge. Again, no, no, some uh, different use of metaphors here. First of all, the heart is what? Intelligent. <laughs> That's a fascinating metaphor, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the heart, we wouldn't think about that typically. As moderns, we would think the brain. If you're a smarty pants, Right? You'll do this. But it tells us something about the condition of our heart, isn't it? It's a it's a heart that is informed. It's a heart that is educated on the things of God. It's an intelligent heart. And that intelligent heart does what? The The Hebrew word there is a financial term. It's a term of, of acquisition. We, we think about in... Uh, the stock market, the intelligent investor, is the one who doesn't lose his head in the frenzy but, but is able to watch and understand and, and make wise decisions when the market's going crazy. Well, in this case, it's the intelligent heart, right? And the intelligent heart is like the acquisition of stock, but in this case, the intelligent heart is buying the knowledge of God, acquiring the knowledge of God. And then the second clause which accompanies it, parallels it. Now the metaphor changes from a smart heart to wise ears. The ears of the wise does what? Seeks knowledge. And and again, this is a simple proverb, but it's just pulling together the idea of pursuit and acquisition. We seek after what God has revealed uh, of Himself, so also we acquire it. And then finally, Proverbs 21.11 when a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. So take the first part of that, the first clause. When a scoffer is punished, so who is the scoffer? In general, who is a person that scoffs? Okay, it could be someone who who is naive, that's simple, but the the scoffing implies what? Yeah, and, and even sort of a rebellion, right? I mean, a scoffing is is a revolt. It's a rebellion against God. Oftentimes, we we, we think about it in terms of expression, like Pah! that's 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 ridiculous. I don't I don't believe that 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 Bible stuff that it says about whatever the topic is, right? This is a scoffer. And then the second part of it is when a scoffer is punished, so the one who has has revolted, rebelled against God is punished. We don't know what the punishment is. The implication is, is that it was right and it was just. So when the scoffer is punished, then it tells something. And it tells something to the simple. It tells something to the simple. Now, Here's what we don't know. We don't know if that simpleton is the same person as the scoffer. But let's let's hope so, right? That someone who once scoffed against God is punished. They realize by virtue of that punishment that they now should look and understand the wisdom of God. But it could also be someone else, couldn't it? I think this is more often the case. The scoffer is punished And the one who is looking on and seeing that punishment of that scoffer does what? Well, they become wise by virtue of witnessing that. So they are a student. And then the second clause, when a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. Now, Poetically, the sage here is playing off of the simple and the wise. So don't, don't miss that. The intent is to show the difference in a, in a parallel form between the simple and the wise. The simple gain wisdom. The wise, what happens to them? When a wise man is instructed... He gains knowledge. He he understands more. He grows in his understanding of God. His wisdom increases, we might say here. And so, all of this shows that, uh, as I've listed it here thirdly, that one of the ways that we attain a right knowledge of God is through pursuit and acquisition of it. And then finally, at least, no, not finally, fourthly, we're almost out of time, fourthly, uh, we attain it by protecting. We attain it by protecting. And, and you might think, well, how do you do that? Well, look at this proverb, and then we'll talk about it. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. Now, for sake of time, I just want you to look at the last clause of that, that you may keep discretion. So the implication is what? You've been taught discretion. You have, in this case, if this is the father or instructor to a young man uh, or young student, uh, there, there is a sense of discretion there, right? That's the implication because you, you can't keep what you don't have. So you're keeping this discretion. And then the second part is, your lips may guard knowledge. Your lips may guard knowledge. How do you guard knowledge? And what in the world does that have to do? We're understanding lips here, speaking as a metaphor of what we say. How may, what does it mean to guard knowledge? And what, do our, what does our speech have to do with this? And I might add, as you're thinking through that, the, the, the first part of that is helpful in understanding this, that you may keep discretion. So what is discretion? Yeah, and it's application of it right. To, to be, to be d- discreet is to control oneself according to the wisdom that one has been given from God, we might say and then the second part of that if that is a, a form of protection that discretion is a form of disc, disc, of protection then to guard knowledge implies that knowledge that they have knowledge right so it's got to be guarded and how is that done by virtue of the lips How many, how many of us, well, just everybody raise your hand before I ask this question? Because I just want to, I don't want any liars. <laughs> how many of us have said things that we regret that we have said? How many of us have said things that were absolutely wrong? How many of us have said things that were not in keeping with the true knowledge of God? Let, shall I go on? Or let us out of our agony and pain here, right? That we, we know this to be true, but so also a part of a right discretion is to keep, to hold my tongue and what I say and to guard that knowledge that I have. And we're going to see this in other Proverbs as well is that there are many times for us uh, not to just rush out and tell everything that we know, right? Right? Uh, oftentimes, uh, their part of discretion is not saying what just rushed into our mind. In fact, that is part of discretion, isn't it? Thinking, well, you know, I could say this, but I'm definitely not. I'm going to maintain discretion. And Proverbs 14:6 and 7 says, A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for they do not meet words of knowledge. And that, again, that's that, that idea, is that there are times for us to speak. But, for example, in the presence of a fool, it's often best to shut your mouth, right? Right? Because we also want to guard, we want to protect the knowledge that has, God has given us and not waste it on those who are not willing or able to receive them. All right, quickly. Because you know what, I, actually not quickly. The last one, we'll come back to this next week. But lastly is we are to store knowledge. And you can just imagine where I'm going with this since you all know me well, uh, the idea of storing knowledge and how that applies to the Word of God. So we'll come back to this next week. Uh, But in general, we attain knowledge, uh, the knowledge of God by fearing the Lord, loving knowledge, pursuing knowledge, protecting knowledge, storing knowledge. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, uh, we are a people who desire to know you and to know Your truth. And so we pray that we would be a people who indeed fear You. We would be a people who indeed seek to know You and to know what You have said to us in Your Word and to uh, understand and perceive rightly uh, what You have done and what You are doing. And so we pray that You would make us a people of godly knowledge, that we would not be the naive, that we would not be the simpleton, but that we would be a people who are rooted and grounded in your true truth. And we pray that you would prepare our hearts for worship today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.